used, I had to, I've had to get used to the Instagram live lately because I committed. I said, no, nah, I'm doing it every single week. Mm. And even if there's two people in there, I still just ramble on. So I'm used to it now. Like I'm used to the just talking to myself and just seeing yeah, myself. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Because it oh. takes ages for people to come through, right? It's taken me so long trying to, because I've always been like camera phobic and yeah, yeah, just to try and put myself in front of it. But it's just take, it's taken ages, but it's, it's a skill. You've got to make yourself do it. Yeah. Just start to feel comfortable. Yeah. It's like anything. You won't get good at it. You just have to do it. Mm. Put yourself in front of it and just, like, like I said, there's times where there's like two people watching and I'm thinking to myself in the back of my head like, Ugh. what's the fucking point? Yeah, yeah. why do I bother? But then I, uh, every now and then now, since I've been doing them for a while now, I'll get somebody that will message and say, like, oh, I saw you one this morning and then I went back and watched them all. So like, it's, you realise that it's, it's, it's a bank. you know. Like, like you said, it's... Up. There, f- two or three years yeah. later, someone's like, "Oh shit, they've been talking about this thing forever. Like, why have I not heard of them sooner?" Well, I'll find a podcast at like episode three hundred. Mm. You know, I remember there was one. It was like it's called Iron Radio. Yeah. And um, um, I got found it like episode three hundred, and I went all the way back. Yeah. Like, I started working backwards. I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna start from number one." Yeah. Eventually, people. Definitely. Yeah. Plus, you only need one, the right one person. That that's like a marketing one hundred and one, like. At one point, there was a guy who worked in Silicon Valley, and he had ten. He had ten followers on Twitter, mm. but his ten followers were Bill Gates, Elon Musk, like all these fucking. Those were the only Champion people who followed people. him. But yeah. so he only had ten followers. But in terms of what he posted, the right fucking people saw it, you know. So you only need one of those people to be somebody who tells twenty other people, yeah, kind definitely. of thing, right? It doesn't. You don't need to have twenty thousand people who aren't going to do their anything. Friends and, yeah. Exactly. And at the end of the day, those are the sort of people that you want to be reaching out to anyways, like making sure that yep. the people that you're connecting with are the, the people that you want to be connecting with as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Those two people are actually the people you want to talk to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've been recording for like three minutes. Okay. So we'll just roll into it. Are you good to go? You know what, you know what you're going with? Oh, no, this is really it, yeah. I don't really have anything planned. I'm just... Um, <laughs> We're just, just going to talk shit. shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked so far. We've just done 20 minutes of it. Oh, the best ones. Yep. Like we said, conversation flows. Mm. All right. Well, I've got to remember the intro. Uh, <coughs> all right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Lifters League podcast, the Muscle and Strength Science podcast. I'm Ben Ashmall. I'm here, as always, with... Elite strength coach Gus Cook, and today we have two awesome guests. So today we have um, uh, strength coach Will, and we have nutrition coach Mickey. Mm-hmm. Um, they've come up here from Gold Coast. Yep. Um, they've been in the industry for a very long time. Um, a lot of you guys might know who Will Will is, uh, competing in. Been at Pro Raw with some ridiculous total. I mean, what have we, what have we, what have we, what have you done? Like 380. <laughs> three, yeah, yeah. You just start, you can assume we start with three. Yeah, the best, my best lifts yeah. are uh, 385 squat, 220 bench, and 387 half kilo deadlift. Jesus, <clears throat> that's, that's also my best lifts, too. Just to put me in comparison there. (laughs) I've actually noticed you you do have changed your, I guess, what you have, what you kind of your training styles at the moment. Is this because it's almost like this forced off season of a pandemic? And yeah, yeah, I've been, uh, well, Pro Raw was a bit, you know, you got cancelled a week out this 
this year. Mm. So we did the whole prep. We did all the sacrifice. We did all the stuff that people know that goes into a comp prep. Mm-hmm. It's quite draining. Yeah. Mentally, physically, all of it. And then uh, to have a cancel a week out was another huge stress on top of that, uh, both personal like and business-wise. And you lost like four kilos, didn't you? Lost a lot of weight that, that week alone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, wow. like it was just a stress. It was, it was a killer. And then just after it, usually I'll take a week or two to get the mojo back anyway after a comp, but this was just like, it was almost like the comp didn't happen, but it was just, I just didn't want to go back and do squat bench deadlift again. And, uh, and yeah, so I just started getting on the bodybuilding train, almost get back to my roots and just do some other lifts. Mm-hmm. And, and that dragged out into much longer than expected thanks to the coronavirus. And yeah. uh, it wasn't until two weeks ago that I actually hit my first like um, proper comp bench, comp squad, comp deadlift again. And feels good again? Uh, if <laughs> after the hot time off? It feels good as in terms of like joints and, and uh, it's, it's almost exciting to do. But um, <laughs> yeah, the movements themselves are a bit foreign. Mm. So yeah, it... I don't know, I'm, but I'm excited because the numbers are good. It's moving good. I'm, it's, it, I really feel it's, it's going to benefit me long, uh, long term. That, that, whatever it is, five six months. Of yeah, just progressing in other ways. What kind of ways? Like, is I remember watching, um, going through some of your Instagrams. You talk about some of the uh, your long term strategies to powerlifting success, um, and I resonated with a lot of some of the things you ha- you have said and. I'm in a, yes, a, a, a personal belief of my, um, is that, you know, it's that, I mean, the longer you can spend in this, the longer you can spend in the sport, um, being healthy without injury is the person that's going to eventually get on top because it's not something you get. Well, you, you look know. at someone like Yuri Belkin, for example, he's yeah. been lifting since, I don't know, like 14 or 15, right as well from Perth, has been competing for 14 years. So, you know, when he came out uh, 2018 or whenever it was at Nationals and pulled, and totaled that 950 total, everyone's like, who the hell is this guy? You know, where's he come from? It's like, well, he's been competing for 14 years. Um, he actually beat Yuri Belkin back in the IPF days as well. So this guy's not come out of nowhere. He's been doing it for a very long time. He's just now available in Australia and people are aware of who he is. So I feel that's happened a few times. Like, you know, you see someone almost almost like it's random person mm. come out and they absolutely kill it. And it's like, where the hell did this person come from? You know, um, how are they just getting so strong all of a sudden? Then you just learn a little bit of history about them. It's like, oh shit, they've been mm. doing this for yeah. 15 yeah, a very long time. So that's interesting. So you're saying it's almost like a war of attrition, right? Like the person who maintains the consistency for longest and is injured least usually mm. ends up on top rather than the person who fucking hammers it and does this lift heavy, injured, lift heavy, injured kind of cycle. It's the ones who are consistent who make it to the end who are going to come out on top. Definitely. Well, I think that was what you presented on in the Rebel Performance Summit. Um, was just longevity and powerlifting. Yeah, and long-term the, strategies, uh, yeah. long-term success. Yeah, and we went into mindset about it, as mm-hmm. in losing touch with uh, kind of socials aspects or like life, basically, like yeah. not having to put your entire 100% of your life into powerlifting. Like it's, it's, a, it's a good short-term strategy. It's the strategy that I used when I was 18, but right mm-hmm. now with... Uh, running a business, uh, buying a house, uh, we house. have it, but other people, yeah, but family stuff, mm. all that stuff. Like, yeah, you can't just ignore that because it will catch up in it. Mm. It's a, 
you have those people in two spectrums where you got people who are very extreme on one end and very people who are too far too passive. I mean, yeah. how do you consolidate, aim to consolidate those type of people? It's a... Well, in that presentation, I talked about planning or periodization about, like, a, there, there's a time and a place. Like, after a comp, like I said, I'll have a week or two off. I'll go out, I'll just chill, go hang out with friends, train if I want to, but not really any focus on uh, progression, mm. just fun. And mm. then um, in the off-season, it'll be... There, there was still some progressional stuff in there. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'll completely ignore it and get way off track, but if I miss a session here or I miss a lift here or I don't go up compared to last week there, uh, it's not a big issue. And I won't just uh, write or put everything on it. Mm. It's just kind of a, it's a long-term strategy. Yeah. Like the, the, and then during a prep, I'll, it'll swing to the other side. I'll, I'll get really into it. The nutrition will be on point. The stress management will be on point. The, every little bit that comes into to being the best athlete into performance mm. will be on point then. So it's, it's just managing it and going like, you can't be like that. 365 days a year mm. for 10 years. You just can't. Mm. Like, there's no way. It's a, I'd love to, like on paper, it sounds like the best strategy ever. You're going to be the best, but it just, you can't. Like if you want to succeed in other areas of life as well, which everybody does, yeah. powerlifting is not um, anybody's job. Uh, you need to, you need to have balance. But I also think it comes in like, you know, it's not just from 12 weeks out that Will's going, all right, nutrition's on point, you know, sleep's on point, stress mm. is on point. Those are all markers that we're taking into consideration throughout the off-season. Those health markers, monitoring, you know, blood pressure and heart rate and moving enough and all that sort of stuff is still being considered throughout an off-season. It's just not um, so restrictive in terms of the other life areas and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there's, like with Sled, there's the performance to health spectrum and it's a sliding scale of where you are um, throughout different phases of your life. I know it's a little bit easier when it comes to when you do it yourself and you do manage manage it in a I guess you said I mean for me personally I mean you know you're kind of just self-managing it but what about when you come to from a coach's perspective to an athlete and does obviously things start to get a little bit more complicated and, and it has to be more measured and well, I'm interested in some of the I guess strategies or systems you put in place for some of your I guess your higher level athletes or even some of upcoming about managing that balance because just educating them on that whole process that we just talked about as in like um uh trying to first get them to set a goal and say where do you want to sit on that like if performance is here and health is here yeah they come together to some point but i mean you have to mm. bias things in each direction a little bit yeah. at certain points trying the and just educating them asking their goals like getting a clear view of what they want right now mm-hmm. trying to educate on like things like just concepts like that you don't need to be one rm strong at six months out like things like that, like there's a million little things like that, but they're just just concepts like that that you need to drill into people's head and go like, you don't need to be, uh, I don't need to be able to squat 385 kilos today. If I if I put 300 kilos on the bar right here right now, I guarantee it'll be an absolute mission. Mm. Uh, so, understanding that it's it's a it's an approach to make you strong on that day, and it's a it's a long term plan to to make that happen, and it could be even like a longer term plan to happen in three five years, whatever. But trying to yeah, just educate. Do you find like how much, how how much more time you spend? Because I find when with my with my athletes that over time as they get more advanced, we're spending um, we're spending more time just talking more than doing yep. technical work. We still do technical work, but we end up spending like, like 80 percent of the time Therapy. talking, Therapy. Yeah, yeah. managing yeah. managing expectations. Is 
Yeah. Is that kind of similar to how? Yeah, definitely. Like one of the questions that I always put forward to um, my clients is like, what is most important to you right now? Like, is it family or, you know, what is most important to you right now? And and what do you want to do or how do you plan to address that? And putting the ball back in their park as well. Like, don't rely on me to be the answer to all of your questions. Um, you need to be able to come up with the answer yourself and, and become more independent. Um, and like you said, like a lot of the time it's it's just a conversation that needs to be had and and how frequently you have that conversation obviously depends on the person and what's going on in their life and the external factors. But, um, yeah, like I feel like a lot of the management that we do, it just comes down to having conversations and, and not always talking about, you know, boring nutritional concepts or technical feedback or mm. that sort of stuff, just having a bit of a chit-chat and, and what's going on in their We're life. coaching a person, not coaching a robot. Mm. I, I can't go like – volume equals five this week and we're going to progress to six next week and you know the same with intensity or uh recovery or whatever like i'd love to be able to just kind of input numbers into a box and it comes out as a as a a progression but Mm. you know people people don't work like that they have lives they have things going on they have stresses they have they have a million different things that makes them into the athlete like uh i was having a conversation the other day about uh weaknesses in a lift so like um you know, if, if, you're, if you're weak at the top of a squat or the bottom of a squat and strategies we can use to um, make, like, improve that in some way, whether it's a pause squat or using, you know, using some sort of variation to improve that. And then, uh, again, I was having this conversation with this person saying how, like, it doesn't it doesn't work exactly like that once you realise. You can't just plug in things and expect to just improve it. But, yeah, sure, we can bias them and have these concepts in the back of our head as coaches and go, like, yep, okay, we're going to do this for this reason and things like that, but we're, we're coaching a person. There's multiple. There's always multiple factors. There's mm. always so many. Just because a person's squat increased, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that this exact strategy is the thing which made that happen. There's a million different uh, things that come into it all at once. Mm. It's a. It, it, they're it, people. The amount of times, I, especially I find in, in in the off season, how many times the plan doesn't really doesn't work. So I've also learned not to put too much into the plan. Yeah. yeah, as well into the long term plan. I have an idea of the strategy I might want to take over the next six months, but it's never. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very adaptive, constantly. I mean, their lifestyle, their life's always. Yeah, changing I sometimes. always say that. Like, I'll have a you know a consult call with the client and be like, "Hey, what what do you want to do in the next? Like I said, what's most important to you right now? What do you want to do in the next six months? Who's the person you want to be in six or twelve months' time? And then we'll plan back from there. But I always say. Subject to change. Mm. Like it's mm. always subject yeah. to change. You know, there's no concrete rules that we need to be following here because life is always subject to change. You know, like I've had clients that have fallen pregnant um, in the process of a bodybuilding prep um, well before the start of their prep act. It was actually due to begin, but I'm like, okay, we're changing things up now. You know, like there's things are always subject to change and and I think that's what you need to take into consideration as a coach as well as stop being so linear um, with the protocols that you're setting and the and conversations that you're having with people. Mm. Actually, you just said linear. You know, it reminded me of one of the things you posted, myths on myths on linear progression. I didn't quite go into it. What are some of your what are some of the what are some of the myths behind it? Behind with that, that. If I remember correctly, that post was more about like. Um, saying that uh, we can't just prog- expect to progress week to week and just continue to have 
this week be better than last week mm. and then next week. But like that would be a lovely plan on paper, mm. uh, and I wish it worked like that. But there's there's all that stuff I just said. There's life. There's a uh, there's stress from relationships, from financial situations, from coronavirus, from mm. whatever that uh, it means that today might not be as good as I wanted it to be. Uh, I might have slept badly. I might have eaten off i don't know there's so many different factors that come into making this session good and uh if it if it doesn't happen the the whole point behind that was to, to try and educate people that if it doesn't happen it's not it's not the end of the world mm. it's about the, the big picture it's that that uh, things are moving forward slowly like progressive overload is doesn't mean that each week has to be more and less it's it's uh, if we looked at things from a zoomed out that things are slightly headed in the right average direction. over time yeah it's uh, yeah it's a consistency thing. Mm. The, I always use the analogy of like a, a train, like we're trying to build up momentum and if there's a little bit of a bump on the track or a little bit of a something that's in the road, we're going to smash through that, all good. Mm. might slow us down a little. It's a little speed bump, but it's nothing. It'll, we'll keep going. To be fair, the sport of powerlifting is a 1% sport, right? Like at the top level, at your level, the 1% mean the difference between success and failure, right? So, and in... Most other sports, say skill sports, team sports, you can get away with the one percent and make up for the middle areas. In this sport, if one little thing knocks you off that one percent, that's the difference between your total, you know, ten ten kilos on a total, for instance, or whatever. Like it, it can be that way. So every little thing does matter. Do you know what I mean? I think you can get away with it in other sports a bit more. Um, it's well, it's still over time. It's still a long term yeah. thing. Like, just because I screw something up little now on. Yeah. Uh, like we were just saying before, people have long long careers in powerlifting. Well, they can. Mm. Hopefully I, they do. Crosses, <laughs> Hopefully yeah. they don't come yeah. in and out in 12 months. If I play football, you lose that explosiveness. You lose it all a lot quicker. Yeah, 100%. And, and yeah. you don't lose that slow strength that we need for decades. Mm. But I think that also comes down to the fact that they're performing week in, week out in sports like yeah, rugby yeah, league and yeah. stuff. Um, whereas in powerlifting, you do it... At say on average two or three times yeah. a year sometimes more if you're newer because you're still learning to express that skill mm. um so you can get away with doing it more regularly but for the most part you know the guys at the top are only doing it sort of once or twice a year um for keeping that perspective on that kind of time frame is a skill in itself right like not getting too ahead of yourself we were talking with fuzzy about that last time weren't we mm. about people the effects of social media and everybody thinks they've got to one rep max every week for mm -hmm. for Instagram, basically, and people are basically fucking themselves over. We um, discuss how it's kind of changed the culture mm -hmm. and attitude towards towards people's training and training training choices, mm -hmm. and I guess their their idea behind what they they should be able to achieve. Because mm -hmm. it's like it was very different when I was like first doing it, and social media was like not that big. And like yeah. Now yeah. it's driven so much harder to be. Bigger, faster, stronger, and all and all the time. Red yeah. plates, all the red time. plates every week. Yeah, I well, you, you got like if you were if you didn't have social media and you were training at your gym, then you're kind of you focus on yourself because mm. it's it's much less competitive, almost like it's, yeah. it's just you progressing. Whereas right now, if Larry Wills hits a PB, I'm probably seeing it within ten minutes of him doing it. <laughs> so you know what I mean. It's it's easy to get like distracted by all these guys doing crazy shit and. Uh, and that kind of makes us make you feel a bit shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. you're seeing all these yeah. crazy people do big things, and you want to keep up. So I get it, I get it. It's it's 
it's tough. Yeah, I don't have the I don't have the exact answer about it, but you sort of try and manage that. Well, I mean, it only really matters on the platform, right? Mm. It really, but it, that's so fucking hard. I mean, but I mean, in terms of affecting decisions and, and yeah. affecting training decisions and wanting to go and hit PBs and wanting to put up mm. a post that gets a thousand likes instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. just a, something that's boring and it's gratifying, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I understand the. Are <laughs> you right? The, I understand the. Yeah, the the want behind it and the people's uh, desires to do that kind of stuff and the way it has changed things. Mm -hmm. uh, our job as coaches is to educate and try and set them up for long-term success and not and not get drawn into that bubble, but it's another problem it, of today. Yeah, still hard. Mm. Still hard to stop someone from going through that. Like I have clients going down a, the bodybuilding realm as opposed to, um, you know, powerlifting. At the end of the day, if someone's squatting 400 kilos – um, it's hard to be able to say like, oh, that wasn't 400 kilos, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, there's the whole like, oh, was it to depth or whatever. But when it comes to, to bodybuilding, you can portray yourself through photos in such a different aspect to what you actually look like in real life. So it's hard as a physique competitor to be able to go, oh shit, this person looks so much leader. It's like, oh, maybe they've just like had the right lighting, had the right positions and stuff like that. But that really influences people's decision-making mm throughout the course of a prep as well. So, yes, it's – I've just had a lot of people literally just turn it off and step away from it because they know the negative influences that that has on them throughout the course of a prep. So I think that's, a, like, um, you know, a really positive thing is being able to step away and understand yourself better and go, all right, I know this is a trigger for me and this is a problem. How do I manage this? Is it stepping away from it for the course of, you know, six or 12 weeks or something like that while I go through a more stressful period in my life? Um, and that brings them out in a, in a more positive headspace um, in a time that's probably quite stressful. So it's just being able to understand what your triggers are and if that's an influencer for negativity, then maybe step away from it and don't have a problem with being able to step away from that as well. Such a... This as a as a strength coach is quite multidisciplinary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm literally, I was literally about to say that. Like, you're not just throwing programs out there, right? Mm. Like One thing I always try to de define is, like, how far of... How, f how much of it is our role? Because we're diving into so many disciplines and it can get, you know, we can, we can dive down to psychology, but how far down the psychology route are we going to go before they need a, a real therapist? Yeah. You know, or, um, and just in, I guess, just in many aspects. I mean, I mean how far down the rabbit hole um, would you say, like, do you have a, do you, do you have cases at the point where you just refer off to yes. Uh, well, uh, myself as a nutritionist, I mean, like it's hard course, yeah. as a as a, um, a strength coach or, or when you're doing the programming, people don't necessarily always expect the psychological aspect out of their coach. But when it comes to nutrition, because really like when you're training, you're training maybe three, four, five times a week. So the only time you're really thinking about training is on your training days. Mm. When it comes to nutrition, you're thinking about nutrition as soon as you wake up. You're thinking about food from breakfast and if there's been a stressful day at work you're thinking about like what am I going to use to um you know make myself feel better and generally that comes with food so um as a nutrition coach I feel like uh, a lot of what I handle is psychological things as opposed and like behavioral traits and stuff like that as opposed to um you know actually implementing like nutritional interventions so it's managing people's behavior and managing stress um and there's certain things that I can employ as a coach that will help people through that uh, from a performance standpoint and also for people that just want to, you know, feel good and look good naked. 
Um, but there is a point where I start to recognise certain traits within people after a period of time of working with someone where I have no problem with referring out and saying, look, it, it, there's a way that you need to have this conversation with a client and I think a lot of that comes down to the relationship that you initially have with them and the trust that you build in that relationship as well. Um, but I have no problem with being able to say to someone, hey, look, unfortunately this is outside of my scope of practice. My practice is to help you employ better nutritional behaviours. Um, what you're dealing with right now is more than what I can help you with and there are certain people that I think you need to invest your time and money in that's probably not me um, because what you're dealing with right now is, is outside of my depths and I've done what I can to help you through this and I hope that you've found this an educational process uh, and you've learned a lot about yourself throughout this time, but I think now is maybe a time that you invest. And I've personally seen psychologists in the past and I feel now I have better self-awareness because I understand what my triggers are and, and what I need to do to help myself through those. Um, but a lot of people think like you're almost broken if you have to go see someone for your mental health. I think mental it's health just is the just... The stigma it has. Yeah, it's mm. like, oh, I need to see a therapist. It's like, well... No, don't necessarily look at them as a, as a therapist for, mm -hmm. you know, a, a broken brain or something like that because that's not the problem at all. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of, yeah, I, I have a lot of people that I would refer out to for a, a variety of different things, whether it comes from self-respect or an empowerment um, to just seeking help for deeper trauma-based problems that need addressing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that have come out of that in a much, much, much better mind space where now at what I'm implementing is working mm. and we're having consistency in what they're doing this and they're enjoying it. I think this comes down to some of the philosophies I've read, read in both, both, both you guys' profiles is the very holistic approach to addressing, addressing issue, issues, not just in sort of the, the foundations of health but the foundations of mental health and um, of physiology and muscular development and, yep. and behaviours and all, all matter. It's comprehensive <laughs> and it can be draining, but it's enjoyable as well when you see people come out with the results that they're after. That's the key. The, I guess that's the key for real success, right? Like you can't just do, you can't just be coached in one area of your life. Like I, I, I've, I've had therapy. I know heaps mm. of people and it was awesome for me. And I saw it as a, mindset coach because that's, mm. that's what yeah. it was it yeah. literally was you're thinking of shit this way let's reframe how you think stuff mm -hmm. and, and like it's almost something you should look at at the start of the journey rather than oh fuck i'm broken yeah now i need fixing it should be like could be and like super elite athletes will generally have sports psychology assistance right at, mm -hmm. at the start of the journey i mean not everyone can fund that obviously yeah but um yeah, it goes hand in hand. There's with a lot of else. free information out there, anyways. Though, yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's very personal and contextual. So mm. you need, you definitely need someone to help you through that. Um, but there are different interventions that we can do as a coach, like motivational interviewing and behavioural monitoring, and yeah. there's a lot of different things that you can go down that I am personally not extremely well versed in but I understand some of the fundamentals around it that can help people and like I said at the end of the day I have no problem with referring outwards and I think it makes you a better coach to be able to say look I don't have my hands in 50 buckets I have my hand in one bucket or two buckets and I think if you you know want to truly help people have no problem with you know referring out 
think um, <clears throat> maybe change topics a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, a, a very popular topic is is programming competition, competition preparation, and um, <laughs> I guess some of the approaches we might take take with that. Because um, we have all the holistic stuff, and that builds a good you know, good foundation. But in the end, then we got then you got the, you got the health, and then you got to move on to to a point we got to move on to performance. Yeah. I mean, so what, I guess I guess I guess what are some of the first strategies with when it comes to some of your most elite guys? Um, what's your first? I guess what's what? How do you plan out your first? What do you what do you do? How do you plan out your first prep with someone or coming into a competition? Let's say someone like someone like Kita, and you've got you know you've got multiple competitions coming up. You've got Pro Raw, then you'll have you know Wildcats, and then all these huge competitions, what are some of the strategies you start to put in place, I guess, with periodization and programming and conversations you start having with these people about getting them... Ready. Oh, ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keita's already pretty ready and motivated. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think motivation is really an aspect that we need to have with her, but... Example, like, yeah. like in, in any, of your, any of your top level guys. Jeez, uh, it's, well, so massive, but... <laughs> Yeah, but just first of all, like at twelve weeks out, we want to have a built. We want to be ready to compete. Like it would, as we said right at the start, there's a lot of sacrifice in in other in life and physically a massive toll, mentally a massive toll. I really think it, for people to succeed at that kind of level, like they need to be need to be ready. Like you need to come in at twelve weeks and be ready to give all that kind of stuff. And you have to have some momentum built from your off season. You have to be already picking up the little wins you have to be already heading in the right direction mm. uh, and then it's easy then it's just specificity then it's just like okay now we're going to bring in some comp variations now we're going to start hitting the heavier reps now we're going to start uh hitting things more those more frequently start mm. building the the efficiency and the skill side of things as opposed to the, the hypertrophy and the, the gpp sort of side of things how close to ready do you think they'll be about 12 weeks would you have them ready like well ready let's say if they were to uh, and they they still haven't hit for most of my people. Like like I said, for for if I talk about myself, like uh, I personally stay. I find that the comp variations beat me up a fair bit, mm-hmm. and I personally stay away from from like the the exact competition variations for a fair while. Probably closer than what most people do the competition. So twelve weeks out, I'm still hitting a fair variety of. Uh, on on the big three, like I'm not really hitting comp bench, uh, I'm not really hitting comp wrapped squats. I'm not kind of hitting that sort of level of specificity yet, and I'll still be building uh, in a general sense at that point. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it won't be until kind of six eight weeks that I'll be really hitting the heavies and the comp variations and stuff like that. I guess that comes down to me being having quite a history now, and I kind of know how to do those lifts, and the skill comes back mm-hmm. quicker than yeah. somebody else perhaps. Uh, I know what to expect. I know how to like flip the switch mentally. I know how to do that stuff. So I can probably get away with it a little bit longer. But I know that if I start pushing it from 12 weeks, 15 weeks, like I might do with somebody else, like I just end up kind of getting beat up. And then it, by the time I get to six weeks out, I'm kind of, well, my knees hurt a little bit, my elbows hurt a little bit, my shoulders hurt a little bit, my back's beat up. Like it, uh, I start running into those little niggly things that come with prep too early. And um, what kind of... Sh- what? How would you go about figuring out what kind of strategy we're going to take into? Would, like, how, how many different types of strategies would you come in with athletes, and how would you figure figure that one out with with some individ- with some individuals? 
just uh, like figuring out in the offseason, as in like uh, like taking data, taking mm. training volume, taking training intensity in general, looking at planning uh, different variations, seeing how like it affects somebody, how it beats them up, what they respond to, and then just kind of building a profile in that sense and then knowing kind of what works in a general sense. I know that what works now isn't going to work then, but like building a kind of a profile on that and then being able to take that forward, it's it's all built around those principles. It's not so much like this is exactly how I'm going to do it because obviously it's going to be situational and it's going to be on, on the person and on the... the like we've gathered over the years of working with someone like Kida that she can handle quite a bit of training volume. <laughs> she um, knows how to work. She knows how to work. And I think that comes from a, a bodybuilding history, much like Adam Wright as well. Like he, they, he knows how to work hard and push hard throughout a session. He gets through those sessions relatively quickly, but it's the More ability to... back from <laughs> injuring themselves more than anything. Yeah. But maybe going down a route of um, learning to express that skill in a better way, um, learning how to hit those, you know, 1RM heavy numbers. It, it is a skill to do a 1RM. And I know when Adam did his first prep with Will, I think it was from about 12 or 13 weeks out that he was doing... Um, singles and it wasn't singles in a heavy regard like I think he was maybe doing like a, uh, three four it's from failure yeah well he was a bodybuilder he already he's a, he's a good example of almost the opposite end of the spectrum to me mm. so he had a bodybuilder he had a big base he had a big le- oh he's jacked he's jacked yes, he's got he a lot is. of mu- yeah he's got a lot of muscle uh, he knows how to put in effort like he knows how to go hard when he needs to go hard uh, but uh, he so he was doing like sets of ten eight on squats at like ridiculous numbers like i was like holy fuck this guy's a monster but then when you get hit a one rm it would be you know he'd be worrying about holy crap this is fucking heavy and he'd be shaky and he couldn't control it and there was a lot of like the skill aspect missing so like mickey said uh, there was a less of an emphasis on kind of building and more of an emphasis on just expressing that strength so we were hitting singles doubles triples a little bit away from failure obviously uh much further from comp than what I would ever do because I would just come, <laughs> I'd crash and burn. But he, uh, but he was hitting them. He was hitting a lot of tempo work. He was hitting a lot of pause work. So there was a lot of a huge emphasis on skill, a huge emphasis on efficiency, uh, and not so much emphasis on yeah building strength in a typical. So fashion. I think knowing a, a athlete's history, training history, is really really important in, in determining what style that you're going to take them into in their competition prep. Like if we have someone like Will coming on board who has a large training history and, and knows how to express that skill in a, in a 1RM fashion quite well, then you're not going to be starting them hitting... A bit ex- beat up. Yeah, you're not going to be starting them hitting heavier singles earlier in the prep. You're going to, um, like Will said, go through different variations. Um, you want to... Like I said, you want to program for the person, not program mm. for what I like programming. Yeah. I find with pers- uh, personally with myself now is that I try and try and that that final peak phase is like really they're getting shorter and shorter for me. Like I remember over the years, that's like, what I just said. Is yeah. like you pick it up quicker as you get better. Yeah, so it's like you know I know after a couple of weeks of heavy singles, I'm I'm back to being pretty confident and you know those heavy numbers and they come back pretty quick. Like I know I'll come under come under a bar and something you know you know three hundred will feel pretty fucking damn average. But then um, usually like second or third week they're like. 
Yeah, it flows. Sky, skyrocketing. It's like yeah, it's all back, quick. It's all back again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have so you I've found got, that with someone like Sarah, for example, like throughout her prep? What's so we've actually different approaches you've taken? It's funny. We've, we've actually, over time, we've been able to train actually do less, mm. less and less and less work. Where before we would have quite a bit of volume to make make progression, and now she's been getting more results from just doing less work. So we, you know, we squat twice a week. Now we're back down to once a week. She's been getting more out of that. And even now, as far as we've gone down, pretty much just focused on like four sets of squats mm. a week. And she's just responding so damn well. But she also squats so damn much. Yeah. You know. It beats you up. And, and that's another thing I guess you need to take into consideration as a coach is as someone gets stronger, their ability to recover after those sessions, like, you know, 300 kilos yeah. versus 200 kilos is very different on someone's back. Mm. Um, and so how is their ability to recover after those sessions and perform again going into their next session? You know, like it's very p- common that after someone does a heavy squat or something like that, maybe their shoulders or their elbows are a little bit pissy and how do they go into their next bench session after that? So I guess taking all that training history into into consideration will allow you to apply different um, mm. principles. I think this is where, you know, it separates, again, the good coaches and the, and the bad coaches, you know, trying to force someone, trying to force an athlete into a program compared to adjusting a program to mm. to some to someone's, their, their adaptability, their their psychology, their lifestyle. Yeah. I think that's where... Like a lot of people rip on like cookie cutter template programs and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, there's always a place for those, I think, mm. for certain people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, We're doing powerlifting. It's three lifts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all going to look quite similar. <laughs> but, yeah, having, a, having a, a, a template or a structure or a system or whatever you want to call it and then, and then just yeah, changing... Moulding it to the person. Yeah, moulding it, like little variations here, changing the volume up, down, intensity up, down, whatever. Yeah, it always essentially looks the same. I mean, yeah. we follow like, you know, two or three different structures and then it's just really a adjustment, volume, intensity. And what they, want, what what they, they want, like what, what they, they like. like. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important because let's be honest, like powerlifting is boring. It's yeah. boring to compete in and it's boring to watch sometimes as well. So I guess, you know... boring to train for. Yeah. <laughs> That's so you've got to keep some kind of enjoyment in there. And obviously there is a point where it's like, all right, look, you are competing and you're six weeks out and we just need to do the bloody work. Um, but I know like in one of Will's pro roll preps, I think he only scored it like three or four times going into that prep as well because he was just like you were facing a lot of mm, I forget knee what that was. problems. It was my knee. I think uh, that was pro. Damn, I forget which comp that was. Um, pro roll nine. It was pro roll nine that you were going into that. Because I remember we were training out of zero gym here. Yeah, it was. And that was actually one of our best comps. <laughs> You're right. Um, yeah, because I, I came into Pro Rule 9 uh, with my left knee really angry for some reason. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get uh, a handle on it in the time frame I needed to, like further away from comps. So I had to deal with it during prep, uh, which is never a good idea because you, you, know, you, you, you can't really – take weeks off and you can't really change you can't really just not squat because i have to i'm gonna have to do that in comp but um we had to take like a a week on week off approach or and really low volume and just kind of like squatting just enough to keep the skill i guarantee there was no progression in terms of like hypertrophy or like strength in the in an overall sort of sense but like just enough to keep the skill and peak the skill and and do um enough to um, to get in the comp and hit, hit the three white lights. 
That's because what? funny you you, uh, you say that because like I've come across I guess I guess myself and some other other athletes is you start to work out minimum effective amount to exactly. come into competition, and I've worked out it 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 can be very little. It's so it's so much you less could, than what you think. Yeah, absolutely. It can be nothing, and you're still express. You can just re- look at refining the just the tiniest skill, and that is all you can focus on with such minimal work. I think I got away with with one one of my girls, and I I find. Girls, especially really small ones, generally don't get away with it as much. But one of my girls really did. She was like 50, 52 kilos, and we just did. She had back pain, so we just did singles. It was like one single only. I think most went to ninety percent, and we we bested by two and a half kilos. Mm. You know, and that's all we did for like eight weeks. You know, yeah. and then it was everything else that didn't hurt. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. There's probably other things in the mm. program which overlap to some degree, but. Mm. Uh, didn't hurt, so it might be like a uh, like if your elbows and your shoulders are playing up, it might be that you just do a bent bar or a safety bar or a cambered bar or something like that that just doesn't put as much pressure on the shoulder, but it's still a squat mm-hmm. and still similar enough to get some uh, transition or you know the same on bench, same on deadlift. There's a, there's variations which you can do to work around it. There's other ways you can get work in, mm. yep. but you're right, you can get away so little. When I went to America and did uh, that comp there recently. Uh, and hit my best number. recently. <laughs> in November last year. Well, that's, re- um, that's recently. Yeah. In terms of, well, coronavirus has shortened the spectrum. Yeah. But uh, uh, for that, we I trained hard. We did a kind of a hard prep up until six weeks out, which is when I flew over there. And then for that last six weeks, when I was over there, because of the travel and the lack of food and the everything that we did, we were hitting three sessions a week where it was literally just the comp lifts to a very low volume uh, and then maybe one or two accessories when I had the time and that, and I came in and hit some of my best numbers. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm not Traveling saying that that is the approach well. that I wanted to take, but that was enough to keep the skill that I had, mm. had that I had the, the strength that I had built prior to going there. So yeah, you're right. It, I, I completely agree. I, I'm the more and more I do it, the, the less I find I kind of need to do. Interesting. Less, I always, I mean, I, and that's, I guess that's the biggest discoveries I've been making over the last few years is, is sometimes less is so much better. And if you can build on something very little and then just make adjustments from the smallest amount, and the progression's been, the progressions on my athletes have been absolutely crazy, especially with, especially with Sarah. Sarah's a good one to use because when someone's really, really elite, you can really see the difference between something that does and doesn't work. And doing less has been, just been hands down. The quality better. over quantity. Yeah, yeah. How did you handle like Keita's prep going into Wildcats? Oh, forget now. Like she 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 still like handles quite a bit of volume like training. Like she asks for more sometimes, and it's like I think that comes back to like the bodybuilding history as well. It's like being able to say like no, we need to slow this down and control it a little bit. Mm. But she handled quite a bit of like volume throughout that that prep. Mm. But I guess that's just the different in the athlete. Those. But with bodybuilders, I mean, one of my one of my um, one of my athletes trained at Worlds, and sh- and uh, was talking to some bodybuilder, and it's like he was shocked looking at his programs. Like, how do you get away with doing so little? Mm. You know, you're just doing threes and fours, and because they're, they're just not used to seeing. Well, are they, are, are they scared to lower the volume? Do you think? It, do you think it's that versus they? It's just the what they're used to in yeah. bo- in bodybuilding. They're going to be hitting. Uh, well. Uh, you know, I'm going to throw numbers out there, but most of my bodybuilders are hitting 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 sets of 
just working sets of everything per week, mm. uh, which is a fair bit when you start yeah. to get up to the hundred. Yeah, mm. it's yeah. a fair bit over yeah. you know five six days. Whereas if I'm hitting one of my programs, if I added up my total working sets, it'd be like in a prep maybe fifty. 60 sets over a week of everything including like mm. the little stuff uh but that that work is much more intense like it's squatting yeah, it's benching f- it's deadlifting it's heavy i think the feeling's different too like you know the fatigue from bodybuilding and the fatigue from powerlifting are just like different like you come out of so i, I did bodybuilding back in 20 i competed in 2012 in bodybuilding and it is com- like you know you have the muscle fatigue and you have you know the cardiovascular system going and then so with powerlifting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <enough. laughs> the food. Um, yeah. And then, um, but you come out with this different type of fatigue. It's just like, you know, especially when I feel like going heavy a lot, this underlying fatigue, not just fatigue from a training session, but it's just like, you could fall asleep. Yeah. You know, it's just this different. Just it's mentally just, drained. Yeah. Exhausted. It's, it's, it's funny how they, they're both fatiguing, but they just feel completely, completely different. It's harder to manage in powerlifting because we're all three, all three lifts, although... Uh, you know, people see squatting as a leg exercise and benching as a chest exercise or whatever. Like, we know that, you know, when you're mm. doing correctly, it's a, it's a whole body lift. All three are a whole body lift. Of course, off. Yeah. Massive amount of tension being put through everything. Uh, and so you can't really, like, train your legs one day and then avoid, let them recover and train arms or something like you can do in bodybuilding. You can split it a little bit more. You can you handle avoid the fatigue certain things. better, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can handle it to a certain point, and then in prep, you're just like fatigued all the time, and that's just because you're so depleted. <laughs> you're so, you know, there's such little going in to actually promote recovery that it's just a matter of getting through the sessions and the volume that you actually can. Mm. Yeah. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Completely, completely, completely different. Um, what's next for you guys coming to? Uh, oh. It's hard to say right now with the world how it is, but. Uh, as a, as an athlete, I want to compete uh, early next year, some point. I'm just waiting to see what comps happen, yeah. whether the pro rule happens, whether Arnold's I down, down Arnold's will happen. I, don't know, I, I got a feeling that's. I mean, Melbourne's a bit. Well, yeah. I doubt pro. I doubt Arnold's will happen, being an expo and being what it is. Uh, but hopefully, pro rule goes ahead at like a, at the gym back back like it was at pro rule seven and before. Um, I feel like it'll almost be a Pro Raw 7 repeat where it'll probably be majority Aussie lifters because internationals will kind of be limited. So I think it'll go back to sort of PTC HQ Pro Raw 7 days, which was a really fun comp. Yeah, I like it. It's really enjoyable. I prefer it. Less hype. I would prefer, (laughs) yeah, I prefer it on a a lifter selfish point of view because uh, I feel I can perform better in those circumstances. But in terms of a promotional view, different. Um, yeah, it's either that or a states comp here if we're restricted to Queensland. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go and do overseas. I really wanted to compete in Miami with the hybrid crew, but, um, yeah, I think that that's probably a dream at this point. That's probably, that's probably well off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and in terms of Nexus as the as a business and where we're going with that, uh, trying to head down the educational all a bit more. Uh, like mm. We'll always have our athletes, we'll always be coaching, we'll always do that stuff. Uh, but I really want to get into mentoring other coaches or educating other coaches, bringing out products, things like that uh, to yeah, to educate. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do now. We're just um, in the process of building the back end, the systems for all that stuff, setting up for that stuff, writing content, writing, doing all that. 
The last thing you want to do is release, stuff, yeah. yeah, release a product and then change the way that you deliver it, or you know, 100%. something like yeah. that. Like that's yeah. that's the process that we're going through right now. Is like the way that we've got everything set up, and then it's like, oh wait, no, there's going to be another, you know, way to deliver this that's easier for the user and and for us as well. So why create everything now or need to then have to transition the way that we do it? So, so just getting all of that set up i suppose at the moment so, so are you guys thinking of an online platform kind of situation there's many yeah many options there but yeah courses uh different small short courses um covering all that we talked about and more uh and then a mentorship itself as in like the same thing but everything and with me actually interacting with people asking questions and doing stuff like that it's a bit of a different thing uh and then stuff on the nutritional side of things big big uh push for content and that and a membership site potentially all ev- just as a, a way as a like a platform for everything that we already have created yeah, yeah. um behind the scenes and just putting it in a in a one one space for people to have access to um obviously we have a great team of coaches that work with us it's not just myself and will we have two other coaches um, Zach and Max that are unfortunately stuck down in Melbourne. Oh, um, <laughs> but, I mean, they're at home and they yeah. have a little bit more time, I suppose, to, to do some of the things um, that they enjoy doing in terms of uh, education and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just utilising this time for what it is. And, you know, only a few short months ago, Will and I just bought a house down on the Gold Coast, so that was quite a stressful couple of months sorting out that process. Would you like yeah. to think as a relatively easy thing um but we didn't necessarily have the the best ride of the process going through the sellers were a little bit difficult so you know there's just a lot of different things that have kind of gone on behind the scenes as well but that's another thing i really want to get into is with the purchase of the house we built the home gym uh if you're following me on social media we've seen it the the process of setting that up so i've I've nearly got everything in there there's a few more pieces to go in over the next hopefully few months uh, trying to make it look all pretty because I kind of turn want to turn that into like a media hub type thing. Yeah. Um, people are always asking for like a vision of myself, like how I train and how I do exercise and things like that. So trying to turn that into that sort of place where I can film everything because mm-hmm. I already train, I already do it, yep. and I already know why I'm doing it. So to stand and put a put a camera up and film that and then explain to the camera why I do it, I think it won't be overly difficult and i think and you know people keep asking for it and they want to see it so that, that that's another step in, in terms of that front as well it's the, yeah. it's the way to do it i mean you're making a similar transition i think previously it used to be as we discussed before it used to be own a gym right the, the step up in the business side was own a gym branch out that way now it's like you want to move away from one-to-one interaction all the time to how can we affect 50 100 a thousand people but only actually record the content once and mm. then facilitate that, right? Be- because, the, d- I mean, we've had long discussions about the issues we've owned in a gym. We talked to Fuzzy about this yeah. and how, <laughs> how gyms have, how, how the powerlifting, I guess, market has started started to change where, you know, it was a pop-up, kind of like pop-up shed gyms mm. and you could just have yeah. some he- bringing heaps of members and, 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 and you could get away with having this, you know, small to medium size size gym but they've started to take two very different directions now now you've got your dominant powers who run competition and have huge gyms can cater for a large number of people because it's becoming a quite a general population type sport now yeah. where a lot of people are starting to take it up 
And then you have your medium-sized gyms, which are dying out, which is unfortunately where I was stuck in. Um, and then you've got the other part where now it's coaches who are keeping to a very small studio Community. where yeah. they manage their people in the, and try to outreach from that, from something, for something small. Not as much overheads with it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the two, direction, the two directions they're going. They go into those yeah to extremes well we were training at a facility um obviously we train out of uh will trains out of zero gym on the on the gold coast which is pretty much the only powerlifting gym on the coast Mm -hmm. i feel like powerlifting in in the gold coast is still quite small um in terms of like actual competitions and and competitive athletes and a lot of people do it as like hobbyists so there's other facilities on the gold coast that are now operating with small amounts of powerlifting equipment like some people have the little mono attachments some people have like a competition bench or or a deadlift bar but you're still quite limited um and at the end of the day like i don't think you can really beat the culture that some of those smaller facilities really do create Mm -hmm. and that's where thomas is doing quite well with his with his space is that he has the culture and he's you're surrounded by people that know what they're doing and they're experienced in in the sport so if you really want to take it in a more competitive route, then those are the places that you go to. But more so from the hobbyist place. I think actually putting it in commercialised facilities is probably a good thing for the sport Mm -hmm. because it opens people up to the exposure of the sport Mm -hmm. and getting them into it, which at the end of the day is then growing federations. And I think that's as as a good thing. And, And as you know, like as people, as the federations grow and as the sport grows, then those other facilities hopefully start to grow as well. And maybe that's where those pop-up gyms are kind of coming from because the general population is is getting more interested in the sport. Yeah. And that's then leading them to those specialised facilities to get more tailored coaching around what they want to do. So it's a good and bad thing in the sense that, you know, some of the gyms are dying, but then some of them are still doing quite well because of the communities that they're creating within their space. Mm. It's definitely got to grow in a way where we can, where it can, it's better to grow in a way that reaches more and more people. Mm, definitely. Uh, I, I believe, you know, it may, it may kill some other businesses along the way, but I mean, I mean, in the, in the long run, it's what's going to help our business too. Yeah, definitely. You know, the more exposure you can the get, more, the, the more, more people, people get exposed to powerlifting and the more opportunity they'll seek expert advice. Yeah, definitely. Know, definitely. Like us. Well, so. I, I think it, my observations, like when I started going to the gym fucking whenever I did, like the general population was just bodybuilding, right? Mm. Everybody just wanted to get jacked. That was the only reason you went to the gym. Like normal people are now le- leaning towards strength now a lot more. Like the average person's doing it now. Whereas obviously it used to be the kind of weirdo in the corner with all the fucking chalk. Mm. <laughs> like well, that's just re- in general. It's evolved. Yeah. It's evolved as well. Yeah. Like if you look at the the guys who are at the top of the pyramid now, mm. the guys who are winning or the guys that are winning IPF Worlds or whatever, uh, they're all jacked. I guess mm. it, it's changed from the guys uh, where powerlifting was, where it was, you know, West Side days, where there was just a big fat guy in a suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's not so scary it's not anymore. anymore. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The, the women are, you know, attractive for, not. I mean, not to be, like, discriminative in any ways, but they're not all portrayed as, like, Lyndall Vile, for example, is a great example that a lot of people like to use as someone that's still quite feminine in the sport. So it's not to say that, you know, they're all big, butch, scary-looking girls or something like that. So it's also enticing a lot more women into the sport as mm. well. Um, and that's just one example of many, um, which I think is a good thing, you know, for the sport. Like a lot, it's it's a very welcoming, warm environment, which is always yeah. a, a good thing. Like un, unlike, you know, my first competition in in um, bodybuilding, I walked out the back 
I wasn't allowed to walk out the front and watch all the girls on stage. I actually got in trouble because I stood off the side and I was watching the girls on stage performing, like the figure girls, which I, I'm a bikini model, but I find the figure girls and physique girls much more <laughs> interesting okay. and yeah, enjoyable yeah. because I respect the work that goes into yeah, getting that lean and getting that jacked. Um, but I got in trouble for cheering them on and standing off the side because I was meant to be out the back. But when I was out the back, I was completely ignored. Like, I wasn't in with a click. I didn't know any of the girls there. Like, no one came up to me and said, hey, who are you? Where are you from? Whereas in powerlifting, like, if you look lost out the back, nine times out of ten, someone who's experienced is going to come up to you and and welcome you and help you through it. Like, if someone's, you know... um, warming up on a monolift they'll call out to you hey do you like are you using this do you want to jump in here yet like what weight do you want let me load the bar for you you know like it's a really warm and welcoming environment I think that's a really positive thing as well so yeah, I remember my first comp that's like after the first one I was hooked I think you were there 2015 Queensland States yeah I believe you would have been, I'm sure you were training there and I'm sure you would have been coaching that day I remember it's all competing know, a while ago yeah. all competing yeah one of the two but I remember in particular um I remember having done a couple of years of bodybuilding before that and I did that first comp and then the fact that I was uh, like obviously trying to win and trying to beat other people mm. and the, like um, I remember the Les Rowe was coming second to me and he was like cheering me on and then Critter and all these other boys were like trying to G me up and help me mm. get through it even though it was my first comp and no one knew who the hell I was. I thought that was awesome because it was such a different contrast to bodybuilding in my experience anyway. Yeah. So. That definitely hooked big, me straight up. Definitely a big thing that hooked me too. It was just the atmosphere in your gym is like that. Mm. Like if, if you like if you fucking saw the people. I remember the first time I went in there, and I went in to shoot some content for you. Mm. Um, I remember the first time going in, seeing seeing, and if you saw them in the street, you'd be like, "Fuck, they're intimidating people. They're all fucking big, strong." Like, but then when you get into the gym, it's fucking awesome that. The, the feeling in the gym, the vibe in the gym is just fucking friendly. Everybody's cheering each other on. There's, there's like, it felt like a team atmosphere. And obviously, it was a team atmosphere, right? Mm. But it's different. It's different. Like, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that's yeah. one thing that we're really big on within Nexus as well. It's just the community aspect and the mm. culture that we have. Obviously, we don't have a gym. And we don't have the opportunity to expose 10, 20, 30 people at one time to the environment that we want them in. Right. So we try and create that in a different facet. We, um, you know, we have an online community group within uh, all of our athletes um, and non-athletes. Like we coach many people that aren't competitive powerlifters or bodybuilders and they just want to get strong and look yeah. good and, and feel good. Um, and so we try and create that positive culture in, uh, in a different way. So whenever we go to events like Pro Raw or States or whatever it may be, any any small powerlifting competition, if we have a handful of people competing, we'll always go out of our way to uh, do dinners and, and have everyone mingle and meet each other because they're not exposed to a lot of those people. But if you go to somewhere like down in Sydney or you're travelling somewhere and you want to place a train out of, nine times out of ten you're going to go to an environment filled with Nexus athletes because you know who they are and you feel comfortable around them and, and yeah. you and you want to spend time. And so many of our athletes have never met each other, but as soon as we go and create one of those events, you just see pranks and jokes and, you know, there's – and those are the sort of people that we have within our community and within our culture. And I think it's just um, obviously something that we're quite proud of and something that we want to continue to embed um, 
with within the the way that we deliver our you know our services as well so yes it's difficult not having the space to create that but yeah. I still think it's important as a uh, a coach or whatever to to cry, try and replicate that in some respect like, I think it's Wayne there's, there's I think there's a few things on this because I've been doing I've done both and that there's pro there's, I think there's, there's there's pros and cons and then there's understanding the co- your co- your role what what mm. job you want to provide what services do you want to provide because I definitely have found and actually talked about this with Brandon from Kabuki and he's like I said there's definitely there's definitely an aspect to team-based training that has shown more superiority over individualization in programming as of that general pushing people because mm. you know the variable of hard training can sometimes over, overcome any of the individual individualized things they'll overcome their own they'll, they'll get rid of their own biases they'll get rid of their you know they'll, they won't be so prancy about some of the little things yeah. that are happening you know and they generally push harder and i've had massive superior results with that but um there does there is a lot of there is a um, there is a lot of cons of that. i mean i think from a business definitely from a business owner perspective there's a lot of sacrifice you have to have to take you're heavily involved with those with those people and maintain invested in and, them and, and yeah. culture um, but then, you know, I found on this aspect now, now pulling myself out of that, what, what, what is, what is my role here? And, and, and I guess it's similar to what, what you have been saying is like, my role now is to educate people. My role now is to provide, provide guidance in the right direction at the same time. still trying to provide a, yeah. a community of community of people. It's no longer my role to be a team-based, a team-based, yeah. team-based sport. I can still provide a very high quality service and education and if anything i can provide that better now because yeah. i don't i'm not just trying to push it to a team of yeah. people it's now to individuals yeah definitely so. but i think um you know like i know a lot of your athletes will train out of the same space as well and they know each other so yeah. it allows them to still communicate and train yeah. alongside each other and stuff mm. like that as well and they'll even reach out to each other without having to reach out to you and say hey are you training at this time and let's you know go hit this session yeah, or what still, comp yeah, are you still doing happen, still happen, yeah. and that comes a lot of that comes down to um yourself mentoring them as mm. a coach um and making people understand that like step put their insecurities aside so to speak and and look bigger picture and, you know, reach out to other people that may be going through the exact same thing that you're going through and the anxieties of a comp prep or, or that sort of stuff. Mm. I mean, even, even if you can have, re- replicate an online community aspect of it where people can throw up personal best or even they're comfortable enough to throw up to other athletes in the program that I had a fucking shit session, mm. failed this, this is going wrong, and everybody picks each other up rather than, I think the problem is people do the same thing with the social media, right? And they get fucking nine out of ten comments of fucking, I don't know, you're bouncing. Yeah. Squat depth. Like, everybody's trying to fucking pick you to pieces instead of that team atmosphere where maybe you can replicate that where you can throw all your shit online and everybody else in the group goes, don't worry about it, keep going, yeah, Yeah. congratulations. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Like, one thing that we try and do whenever we have a new client um, come on board uh, if they're at if they feel comfortable to post within this uh, community group and they're like hey I'm such yep. and such and this is my history and this is what mm. I do and maybe they'll upload a photo of themselves or a video of themselves it's something that we do try and encourage people to do mm. but every single one of the people um, within that group like a large majority of them will comment and be like hey how you going or like if they actually know each other and they train yeah. out of the same facility like wait what are you doing in here you mongrel you know like there's just there, there's always a welcome environment to any new person that comes on board and there's never ever scrutiny or stuff like that because that's the coach's responsibility yeah. the coach is the one to um you know construct and, and provide the feedback that they really need and that's who 
they're investing their time and money in and that's who they should be listening to. But it's hard also to step, you know, like if you're posting this stuff on social media and, and you've got 50 other people ridiculing you, it is hard to, you know, not be upset or offended by that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the coaches who you're investing your time and money and energy into and that's who you should be listening to the most. Mm. Awesome. Mm. There's always there's always so much, so much about even you know, how you bring someone on board or the reasons for someone to come and see you and see you in the first place. Mm. I always found, um, you know, I've, I've always, I've always never tried to like force sales to go clients or I say like, like they come to me with the problems like here's how I can help. I mean, there are plenty of other people that can do the same thing, but the thing is if you get that person who's quite, I think that's like the first thing you're trying to find the right client is that they already have that level of motivation themselves and, intrinsic motivation themselves because you know i've had people on different spectrums when you, know, you get someone who doesn't have any of that mate, they're looking for a personal trainer mm. it's not gonna it's just not gonna i'm not, not gonna, gonna hold work. your hand yeah yeah so i think that's just define again always 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 keep saying is defining defining the coaches you're the coach's role yeah you know how far down a rabbit hole do you want to go with some things and you know because where we're, we're crossing the boundary in some some aspects when it comes to psychology um even drug use. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Obviously it contributed to the sport in some respect. Mm. We had a little interesting conversation. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say, do you want to go there? Yeah, let's go there. Um, we've been going an hour. This is awesome. Mm. Um, I guess we, we had before, before we started this podcast, we had a little conversation about, um, and it's, it's always a taboo, taboo topic. And it's something that, in the strength, in the strength community, in the strength, uh, restraint coaches that we end up having to having to deal with. There's no choice. There's no choice around it. When you have an athlete who's at a an elite level or who's just that type of personality type who is going to do it anyway, what are your guys, I guess, approach and views or roles that you guys take when it comes to people who who come who's highly competitive? Is like, I want to take all this stuff, you know, or I'm already taking all this stuff, you know. What's some of your first approaches in Dealing with those, uh, just uh, knowing that again, like we were talking before, there's a, there's a spectrum of like health and performance, and um, obviously this stuff is going to work. It, it can't really not work. It's really good yeah. at what it does. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. one of the, the it's good and bad the parts about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's always a health trade off depending on how far you push it. Uh, but there is always some to some degree, and and understanding where somebody wants to be on that. Like, do you want to do this? With uh, you know a long term plan and, and prioritize mm. health, or do you want to be the guy who's pushing things really really hard and you're at the top, you know you want to get there quick or whatever. And there's obviously like a there's pros and cons to both approach. It's just like where do you want to be on that? So like getting the like understanding exactly their vision and what they want to do because like um, there's just not much information. Simple as that. The, and the people mm. that are giving the information are, are they have no fucking idea what the, you know, what they're doing. They're just being exactly. told by their other friend, and then they've just been told by their other friend. So it's a very uh, misinformed, uneducated world. People step into that. So just first of all, getting an idea of where they want to be, what they want to be, understanding that there is going to be pros and cons to this stuff, and they need to understand that first. Uh, and I think that's the first thing that we need to define. Um, and then from there, I can help you. Then from there, I can go. Or I, either I can help you with my knowledge on it, and if I don't know, I can refer you to somebody that does. I have a, I have a bunch of people that uh, are really well educated, and they kind of deal with this stuff day in day out. Mm. Um, so 
yeah, I guess that, that's really it. Uh, as far, without going into specifics, but I think people really need to understand that first. They really need to dig deep and figure out Find what they want why, from why, what the real reason behind. Yeah, like if you just want to go like, uh, how do I say this? Like, like a lot of a lot of people like without talking about this specifically, but a lot of people tell me come to me. Uh, the first time that we have a consultation, first time I've ever spoken to them, they're like 18 or whatever, you know, like yeah. they're raring to go. They're just like, they might have got new beginnings. I've been in the gym two years and they'll tell me like, yeah, I want to be like the king, you know, like I want to be at the top of the pyramid. Like I want to win this shit. Like I want to conquer the powerlifting world. I want everybody to know my name type thing. And then I'll be like, cool, cool, cool. And then we'll go about things and two months into the process there, going out and getting pissed on the weekends and they're missing meals here and they're missing sessions there and i'm like how bad do you really want this like there's a there's you're 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 telling me one thing you're telling me that you're all in and you're not all in um so i think the the drug use and that side of thing comes into that as well like if you're telling me that you want to be the best i'm happy to, to help push in that direction but if you're not going to give me everything back there's a like uh, I don't want I don't want you to be just slamming this stuff to make up for other exactly I think I think people are, I think other pe- people are thinking that like oh it's that that's going to get me get me there but in the end I've seen people ta- I've seen people take a fuckload and go nowhere and I've seen people take fuck yeah. all and go real far with it crazy yeah and it's it's still it's just another little tool amongst all the other million tools that we got to use, yes, it is an enhancement. Yeah, that's an enhancement. I think there's a really, uh, I can't remember exactly who said it, but there is a famous quote that says, I've never seen a vial lift anything. It's Dave Tate. But, um, yeah, it's, like, yeah, what you said about you seeing people take a lot, like, um, like, obviously I won't mention names or anything like that, but, uh, but a lot of the people that I do know take the most aren't really at the top they're kind of like they're not bad lifters you can't mm. really be you can't really be weak um but they're still kind of intermediate and floating about and stuff like that mm. it's it's certainly not a uh, a shortcut and i yeah. think that's because they're not like will said taking care of those other very important facets um that's going to make this stuff really useful you know like if you have shitty nutrition Slowly reco- like shitty recovery modalities, and this stuff's not going to work as effectively as, mm. as what you want it to be working. Mm. So I think it's taking mm. that into consideration as well. If you don't have that background set up, then it's not going to, you know, it's going to work, like we've said, but it's not going to work as as efficiently as what you would like it to be. And then you add the then you add the female menstrual cycle to that. That just makes it immensely more complicated. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Because um, you're already dealing with so many other, so many other things that testosterone plays a role with how it affects women's menstrual cycle mm. and then the health effects that are going to come from that. So sometimes it can end up being just worse Yeah, doing doing something. In, and, and it's the same thing with guys. If we just don't have the health foundation, I mean, it's almost useless. It's almost not useless, just you just, you know, let's say, let's say bang for your buck. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get your bang for your buck. So then I, I find people like, you know, you know, rather making progression in their training, they're trying to make progression by taking more. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. The the people that aren't the to- at the top are, in my experience, aren't the ones that are taking mm. the the shit tons of it. The, they're the ones that have built the foundation, the ones that have got mm. the effort and the, all that crap under control. Like I um, find it, or we'll call it a diminishing return. Mm. I would say, like you know, you get to a, you get to a, you get to a certain. Sometimes more is not always better. You, yep. get, you get to a dose, and anything more, what, what you you get your two or three percent extra out of it, but for 
this much more side effects, effects. Side effects yeah. that you're gonna get for it. So ends up not being not being worth it. Especially some of the things like you know the things that might affect your sleep, your appetite, and we all know what they are. But oh, there's pros and cons to it all. Yeah, it's just it's balancing like, It is sure. just not worth. It's not worth the sacrifice of appetite, especially if you're someone who's going to have have to eat you know several thousand calories. Freaking. Yeah, yeah 6,000 calories. calories a day to put weight on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just not yeah, be, Sounds yeah, like fun, but it's fucking hell, isn't it? Sounds like fun for no, one it's, day. It's, yeah. it's, 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 I hate, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what Sarah said. What's the worst thing about being a power, power lifter? The eating. eating. Yeah, definitely. That, so all that that you're talking about, I think is a symptom of, of it being in the dark and it just being illegal, bad. And I, I think this goes across all drugs, I think. If 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 it was just like if everybody knew what it was and it wasn't a stigma, and they actually had all the fucking information out there, then maybe everybody could use it in the right way, and we wouldn't have all the problems that would lead to why it would be illegal. Or not be using it place. at all, mm. right? Like, like there's a lot of people are, that shouldn't be touching it. Yeah, and they, nobody knows what they're doing, right? And that's that's the dangerous part. Not the things themselves aren't the dangerous part. It's the people fucking doing it wrong because there's nothing out there. Well, like right. I said, it's also, it's very easy to look like you know what you're doing. Yeah, of course. Because it works really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the day. <laughs> you see Joe Blow down the, sh- like is looking see, jacked in a gym. You're like, I'm going to ask him some questions yeah, about it yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. big and jacked and obviously must know what he's talking about. 100%. But there's only a few select group of people that uh, we would really outsource for information yeah. on that sort of stuff. And like someone like Broderick Chavez, for example, has got a membership site built purely on topics surrounding this and obviously many other things that need to be taken into consideration. So some of the things that we will look after um, with our athletes uh, is coming into a competition monitoring, you know, certain health aspects and making sure that everything's uh, within the ranges that we expect Obviously, coming into a competition, certain things are going to escalate. Um, and with that, you just need to be aware of that as a coach and as an athlete. Be educated on what side effects that you may be experiencing so you understand what's going on. And then post-competition, getting things like a blood test and getting regular blood tests throughout the year as well and making sure that all your health markers are within the ballpark that you expect them to be on certain phases of, of that prep. It's, it sounds pretty common sense, but my, a lot of people that come to this don't even have a, a plan. I'm like, so like, oh, cool, like, I could. They'll be like, what are you doing? They're like, yeah, I'm taking this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, cool, like, when are you stopping that? And they go, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh, when, did you, when did you start? Oh, I think it was like a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like, there was no, when's the last time you got a blood test? I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, there's it, just some general planning about it would go a long way. Yeah. Just knowing when yeah. you're going to start, when you're going to finish, the whys, the hows, the, uh, like, periodizing. Like, periodization is often said in terms of programming. Like, um, but periodizing everything together, like making sure training is driving hypertrophy, making sure nutrition is helping that hypertrophy, making sure that the PED side mm. of things is, is, is being biased in, in the way of hypertrophy. Like everything needs to run together uh, in the same direction to get the best results. So, And you it, need to map all that out. I'd be surprised a lot of people don't plan at all. At all. I'd, I'd, I said I found over the last, especially a few years, that that was probably one of the biggest things that helped I guess me and helping my athletes was was bigger and better planning, you know. Um, so I've ended up now, you know, got spreadsheets and of of many things coming across. Then how we're going to stage, how the plan's going to look like doesn't I mean it's always going to be that plan, but you know, just simple that alone will, uh, allowed allowed you to I guess map out when we do hypertrophy phases, when we do skill work, when we, you know, when we take things, when we're going to test test things like even 
Um, even do things like if people are going to take it, they're going to take it. So let's let's take it at a at a minimal risk as possible. You know, so you can test. We test different doses dosages earlier in season, so we know like okay, what's effective. And I've yep. remarkably worked out how little same thing with like with training, how little doses of doses they can get away with. And it's like if you can get away with that, that's long term. That's going to be better. Yeah, better for you. Um, and but from a nutritional standpoint as well, it's understanding what. Um, some of the repercussions of these things are as well. So if you're experiencing, you know, weight gains uh, a, a week or two in and understanding why that weight is and maybe what that weight is as well so that um, you can uh, monitor that over time and, and monitor whether or not this substance is the right thing for you, um, you know, for the, for the side of pet points. Like you said, if, if it's not driving the right stimulus that you're looking for, then you need to change it up to something else or the side effects are a lot more than what you really want to be dealing with. Like I know a lot of people have really negative side effects to one thing that maybe someone else doesn't experience at all. So it's, I I guess it's trial and error Mm. as well, which is a a dangerous thing with these substances is like, you know, trialing them out (laughs) and seeing whether or not it works. But um, I guess that's, where the science has kind of fallen short, right? You know, yeah. it's not exactly always tested on certain people. It, it comes down to a more anecdotal point. Mm. I think so. The summarise would be, it's, it's like define the goal. Mm. I mean, behind behind the use because, you know, if it's for reasons that aren't, aren't you know, intuitive to at least looking after your health, or, you know, there are other means to that goal that you haven't considered first, such as, like, I want to be the best powerlifters. Like, have you even trained? Or have you yeah. done anything, something super simple, such as address your nutrition and you know, have proper planning with your of your training? And then it's like, yeah, so you got, we got the goal. And then it's like, okay, <coughs> risks. Um, have we set up a, a, health, a health plan? Are we measuring markers of health changes? Mm. Um, and... This is, I think, this is where I put my role into this. Is that my role? If athletes are going to take it anyway, if I refuse to, if I refuse to, refuse, let's say I did refuse, refuse to help, they're going to do it anyway. And that's kind of my philosophy behind any, mm. I guess, that's behind any drug use. You don't help them; they're going to do it anyway. The war on drugs doesn't work, so it's the same philosophy here. Is that my job? I would say my role would be risk management. Mm. Help educate them and help them understand. Yeah, yeah. they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, so I think like Will said at the very beginning is, um, you know, what is their why in the first place and making sure that their why aligns with what their, their goal is because if it's coming in with a shitty reason, then maybe you can try to delay the inevitable until they have, like you said, those fundamentals under control. And maybe, maybe not say like no forever, but just no for right now. And let's get these things under control first so that in six months' time, now the stuff's really going to be beneficial for you. And I think having those conversations – and maybe their mindset will change across that, those six months because they'll realise that they are being a little bit lazy or, you know, whatever, and, and their mindset may change and they may not come back to that conversation with you in six months' time because they've realised that their progression has massively increased over that time just by managing those things. So I listened to this podcast um, – and it was a conversation with Bill Pearl, and he had a uh, uh, he had he had a little kid that would always want, that was training with him, and he was getting really really strong, and kept asking him about, oh, I want to I want to take something, I want to take something, and um, he just said no, you can't, okay, you're too young, 
And then eventually he he's because he kept because he kept going. He's like, okay, I'm gonna give him something. Um, so I gave him some pills, and it was just it was just sugar pills. You know, so there was nearly nothing in it. And he got so damn excited. Did he, did he get stronger? He got stronger. Fuck. He got bigger. He got <laughs> That's awesome. Everything, everything you would get out of it. And then right at the end, he told him, "Just sugar pills." It was, all, it was all in him the whole time. And I think it's just one of those things people, you know, they're looking for their answer, but it's in them the whole time. Yeah. You know, they just. Well, well I, I always tell people who um, who don't understand what what it is, and they say they just call drug cheats cheats, right? Like the drugs did it. I'm like. They've still got to do the volume. That 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 weight still, like they've mm. built that with the assistance of it. But that the, they didn't shoot up and then add fifty to the total overnight. It doesn't that that doesn't work, right? You still got to do the work in the gym, right? It's always so. a hard conversation that one because, uh, uh, like, I, I don't want to deny it does work. You're gonna get yeah. bigger and you're gonna get stronger. There are studies that prove it really well. Mm. But uh, you, you've 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 got to get in the gym. You've got to do the work. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But it puts you at a greater risk for, for injuries and stuff like that if you skyrocket that 50 kilos in, in six months or something. Like, you know, there's certain tendons and ligaments and stuff like that that haven't quite managed mm. the I've load. That, yeah. Yes. That's, I think that's the biggest risk that people fall into. It's mm. not, not so much the other negative side effects. Um, it's the, the risk of those major injury tears and, you know, career-ending right. sort of injuries. Yeah, there's so much emphasis on muscle recovery. But not enough underst- not enough people put into consideration ligament uh, uh, like ligament recovery and and um, um, I don't know if you got as far as bone densities. I mean, quite. Yeah. I've seen people snap their bones, but who was it? Who was it? Twenty seventeen nationals. Sam, was it Sam? On a bench on a bench on the bench press. Oh, that was oh, Lowe's. Oh, Lowe's, yeah. Snapped her arm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was scary. Oh, that was Fuck. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a dude... I saw a video of a dude in Russia. That was oh, recently? recently? Yeah. Fuck. Both his knees blew out on the squat. Like, literally That's not folded. That's just... We don't want to drive that into the... That's because of drug use. So that, that was... No, no, of like course. Well, no, I was just saying that's that an injury, yeah. right? But that happened to and that's a fucking one-off. That's like a one in a million, but... He most likely had some... Pre-existing stuff, I would say. I, yeah. So, I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that this is, is yeah, stuff to the do drug, with drugs. The sorry. Drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a bit of a I side, side tangent. Mm. Um, but uh, as we're saying, yeah, like the muscle, um, yeah, there's a lot of focus on muscle recovery, but not put on some of those other things. And where I mean, we know that testosterone builds muscle quick and well. And when people go beyond physiological recovery rates or other aspects of their body, then yeah, we see tremendous injuries. And I've seen it again some of my own athletes or people I've worked with and or with other people so yeah I guess it's just getting them to slow down a little bit and like we said make sure that those basic fundamentals are being catered to first like if you're recovering your your sleep and your stress management Mm. and your nutrition and all that sort of stuff and just cardio health and all that sort of stuff is being kept under decent control and then like you said as a coach just being able to tell them to slow down yeah just it's just putting in the time isn't Mm. it like you can just like, you don't want someone to go into a competition. I know there was a, uh, I think, like, Dylan Hellregal going into Pro Raw t- 11 when he hit that, um, was it a 1,000-pound squat and 900-pound deadlift? Like, he probably had a little bit more 
in those lifts, but that's what he came in for. Like he came in there just to hit those numbers. So as a coach, it's like, all right, let's, we've set these control parameters and, you know, we just want to do a little bit better than last time. We're not going to max out every single time that you step on that platform. Like sometimes as an athlete, if you're going in there to win, then that's what you've got to do. Um, but if you're not maybe at that level, then it's just setting like certain little targets and numbers that you want to get them to slowly progress over time rather than being like, all right, now we're going to add 50 kilos to your total in this 12 week cycle or something. So just setting little control parameters, I think will help um, restrain some of the the negative side effects affiliated to like ligament tears and stuff like that as well. Cause obviously they'll want to go full ham on it. <laughs> mm. I think I've let some athletes take nearly, um, like nearly see, only see it take about nearly three years to really hit their maximum potential. You know, like, like you said, like I, I don't treat their first comp as like have fun. Mm. You know, enjoy that first comp and the next comp oh, can we improve on that and I always find that their attitude is, is what changes I don't have to drive I don't have to drive it yeah you know, because they start to enjoy competition after competition so many factors you can't make somebody the best they're going to be in all aspects mm. in one prep or yeah. in one year or in like just uh, uh, like teaching somebody the effort that like how to put in effort every session, how to manage this and how to manage that. There's just too many little things that it is that someone needs to learn and go through mm. that can be taught. Even if you're the best coach in the world, just can't be like just development can't happen that quick because there's a lot of things that you you can't control. Like you need to let a person experience and just get better. Whether it's competing, whether it's like I said, just just literally putting in effort. Like I can program you. Hey, Gus, I want you to hit it. I want you. I want you to hit a set of three at. RP8 or two reps and failure or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's the ability for you to do that is is a skill. Like you need to learn to push yourself like that. You need to learn to 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 sweep, uh, flip the switch to, to to do it. Like there's some of those things you can't teach. It's a yeah. It's a it takes experience. experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I think that Mac, that those those athletes take three four years to really. Really striding it. It really helps to have a background in something, something that uh, completely different conversation. But I really think that people have an athlete background, whether it's some level of sport. Like, mm. there's many many examples of it, like Odell. I come mm. from an NRL background. Like, I really feel like that is a big part of why he's been so goddamn good at what he is. Because uh, not only the elite coaching that he would have had in the NRL and the elite uh, development, but just them learning to like him learning to push and just become an athlete in the in the holistic the general sense. yeah just yeah. like the, the the mindset and everything that comes with being yep. just an elite athlete just being exposed he's already to got that, that. And then he just had to come and he's like fuck all you want me to, what i just got a squat bench deadly like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah you know what i mean that's fucking easy so um like I really do feel that that's a that there's a whole other conversation. I could talk yep. for another hour, or two hours, and that. But yeah, fuck, we'll be going. Yeah, we better an hour and twenty five. Better leave that one there because I do have. A, we do have another one. We've got someone locked outside. Are they outside? I don't know. We'll we'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taking right. the door down. Cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on. That was a that was conversation. A epic. Yeah. Um, we had an hour conversation before this. That would have been good. Some of that stuff would have been good on here too. So maybe right. another time. <laughs> Next time. Next time. We're not far. All right, thank you guys. Yeah, thank thanks you. Guys. Thank you.